Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. It's great to be back. It was out part of last week. We took some family time off and then we had our relevant radio event where we were all meant to be gathering in person to come together as a company and be fortified in the mission of relevant radio. Today marks the anniversary of 9-11, 22 years ago. It's pretty incredible. Where were you when 9-11 happened? It's not just a chapter in our history book, it's relatively recent still. 22 years ago, in some respects, wasn't that long ago. Where were you? Were you? I would love to hear from you. Uh, how have you changed? Did that event change your life? I actually met a 9-11 survivor for the first time back in 2019, and it was fascinating. It wasn't a topic that she said normally comes up, but somehow in conversation, when I asked her how she ended up moving to California. It was the catalyst that led her to California after surviving 9-11. I'll share a little bit about that. I was also pondering 9-11 and how dramatically our consumption of media and our processing of catastrophic life-changing events occurs today. In the time of 2001, during 9-11, I was a little girl. I was nine years old, living on the West Coast in Southern California. I grew up in the mountains. I was homeschooled. And I remember that morning. It was before we got started with school and I was flipping through the channels, savoring those few minutes of some TV time before it was off for the rest of the day. My mom was getting ready in the bathroom. She was taking a shower. And I remember flipping through the channels and I come across the station, the TV channel, and I just see smoke and I see fire and I see a big building. And again, I'm only nine years old and I knew something was wrong, something really terrible was wrong in the world. And I remember calling my mom over and stopping on the news channel. We didn't grow up watching the news. I'll talk a little bit about that later, but we didn't really grow up watching the news. And I knew maybe it was because I grew up in the mountains and we were always on high alert for wildfires in Southern California mountains. But I knew something was wrong. I called my mom over. I said, something really bad has just happened. And my mom comes over and I think, I don't remember exactly, but it seemed like within a few moments, she walks up and the second plane crashes into the second of the Twin Towers. And it's one of those things you don't forget. I mean, even as a little girl, I remember recognizing the reality of something such as the carnage that would occur, the death, the, the destruction, watching those buildings collapse right before your eyes. I don't think the first building had actually collapsed yet. It's been a while since I've kind of walked through even any of the footage from 9-11, but we saw it all. We were there watching moment by moment live as people in the United States of America were 
facing this tragic and horrific event. I mean, as a child, I didn't know war on American soil. We really still don't know war on American soil, though we've faced frightening ter terrorist attacks over the last 20 years at times, 9-11 being the largest by far. We don't know war on American soil. And it's one of those startling experiences, you know, having maybe even a friend. We had a friend who was working at the Twin Tower. My mom did. And where were you? I'd be curious to hear how 9-11 changed your life. I remember for us at that point, my mom said school's canceled for the day. And we were glued to the television for the rest of the day following the series of events that occurred as everything from the plane that went down uh, later on in the day that didn't meet its target, the threat to the Pentagon, everything that was going on that day. Uh, for me, it was a very historic day. I was learning a lot about, in many respects, the geography of the West Coast, concerns about other targets on the West Coast, or sorry, on the East Coast, historic monuments. And I remember just the sorrow and the emotion of pondering what was happening and the death toll rises for days on hour and we're seeing the wreckage throughout the city of new york the number of people not just in the buildings of the twin towers but the firefighters the policemen it was a startling experience and i remember even then and i know whenever there's a catastrophic event the pro-life community often will make a parallel to how many children's lives are lost via abortion that we don't make a big deal and at that time, you know, we knew that about 1.2 million abortions in the United States were occurring each year. And I remember even comments that I was only nine at the time of my mom and other people commenting, if only people realized how significant the destruction of abortion is and that there is a war going on on, ch on children here in the United States. Not that we were to distract at all in any way from what was happening with 9-11, but it was one of those moments where you ponder, wow, if we actually take death tolls and compare them to abortion, it's startling. I think that's one of the reasons why we shut down when we think about how often babies are killed in the womb via abortion. And even today, we're going to relate this actually in a moment to how we have a hard time processing events today and i think it's because of how far communication has come in the last 22 years I and mean, just think about it everyone has a personal device today a cell phone a tablet a walking personal device and the way that we process 9 11 22 years ago is radically different than how we would process an event of such a magnitude today and look at the earthquakes happening around the world and even just a few weeks ago my mom was in indonesia in bali and there was a massive earthquake this expectation of the way the news would be communicated to and that was an interesting experience because thank god everything was fine she made it home safely but you know third world nation completely impoverished she's in the middle of the jungle and i remember just thinking wow you want this instant communication but it's not happening because of how remote this area of the world is, yet here in the West, we're familiar to having instant communication at our fingertips, knowing of the most frightening, catastrophic news across the world. 9-11, my producer Patrick Alog, who's on the phones, uh, just said 9-11 was the first day that the cable news channels had the bottom line scroll you see on TV. It's interesting. Um, 
you know, it was a historic event for people today. And it's life changing. You know, people who were conceived or just babies at the time of 9 11 today would be just about graduating college or on their way within those fundamental years. And we're a generation past. And for some, it seems like it was only yesterday. So, where were you? at 9-11. Did it change your life at all? I met a 9-11 survivor. And by the way, if you'd like to share your story about where you were at 9-11, how it might have changed your life, the number is 888-914-9149. I met a 9-11 survivor in 2019. As many of you know, I've taught Pilates for years and she was one of my clients. I worked with her a few times a week and it was fascinating just getting to know her. And it happened months into getting to know each other as we were working on some of her injuries and rehabilitating her. I asked her at one point, what brought you to California? Because her family doesn't live here on the West Coast. And she said, well, actually, she said, I don't really talk about what brought me to California. She said, no one's asked me that in a long time. I said, oh, that's interesting. And she said, actually, she said, I'm a 9-11 survivor. And if I remember correctly, she was in the second tower, somewhere around the 13th, 14th floor. And she was able to make her way down the stairwell and out of the building safely. I think possibly even before the second building had even been uh, hit. And it changed her life. She moved to California, led her to have a military career. Everything in her life changed her perspective on the length of time she has day to day. Uh, she, her perspective on the importance of faith. And being dependent on God, seeing your life in many respects flash before your eyes. That was her perspective. And it's neat to see how events that are life-threatening, near encounters with death can transform people, a person's life, the trajectory, their perspective, the importance of faith. How did 9-11 change your life? Did it? Numbers 888-914-9149. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I was thinking about something as I was pondering what it was like for me when 9-11 happened because I was only nine years old. <clears throat> and I was thinking about how today we process world events and news and catastrophes in radically different ways. As I shared, I was nine years old when 9-11 happened. I just happened to be browsing through the TV channel, savoring a few moments of TV before we started school for the day. I was homeschooled and... There, lo and behold, I brushed past the news channel. I didn't grow up watching news. And I saw something major and life-changing and frightening was happening. I called my mom over. And at this time was a point in history where we really do at that did at that time have the TV, remember, as kind of that central part of the house. There weren't handheld devices. And the computer was also in a central part of the house if you had one. And also, by the way, you also had to stand five to ten feet away from the, the TV, at least. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I remember as a kid, I wasn't allowed to stand close to the TV or right in front of the TV. But then look at how we're walking around with these screens glued to our faces and late into the night. It, should, it would just be unheard of. It's fascinating to think about how protected we were from technology and apprehensive we were about technology just 22 years ago. And yet today... We've completely let loose with very little, uh, little, I would say, barrier or even caution 
with even just the closeness of the proximity of the technology, which, by the way, people were right. Your parents were right. If you were told or if you were cautious about how close you were to the computer, it was correct. All of the draw of the color and the lights, the impact on your dopamine levels, your serotonin levels, all of it actually has a negative impact. But back to this event of 9-11, the TV was a central part of the house. If I were to watch something, there was culpability within my house. And I saw what was happening. I knew something was wrong. I was only nine. I called on my mom. Hey, something big's coming on. You need to come and look. And we didn't grow up watching the news. And there was a reason. My parents at a certain point, especially my mom, said, listen, news is sensationalized. It's a negative. We need to protect young minds and hearts from what's being shared on the news. And so we really didn't watch or listen to the news regularly as children in our house. It, it was negative as well. And this has led me to kind of have this lens of reflection on the difference between 9-11 happening 22 years ago and today. I processed 9-11 through and with my mom. I saw something happening. It was startling. It was frightening. And I said, hey, mom, something major is happening. You need to come here. And I spent the rest of the day processing that alongside and with my mom through her lens. And I think that's really significant, that sense of togetherness. And if you think about it, what happened at 9-11? Did you pick up the phone and call a friend? Did you call a family member? Did you know someone in one of the Twin Towers or nearby? I remember my mom picking up the phone, calling people. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what's happening? You know, people were afraid. Are we going to enter into a war? What will happen? Where are our loved ones? Will there be a rolling blackout across country? I don't know. We were in the midst of this unknown. And if you think about it, we've, we're very hot off the heels of this Cold War with all of this nuclear power at the fingertips of many people, not necessarily goodwilled individuals. And so if I think about it today, if something such as 9-11 were to happen, or for example, recent earthquakes that have occurred, if something like that were to happen, we would be glued to our screens or following content. Kids don't have the protective barrier of their parents. They can consume news at any moment of the day, whether in the presence of a parent or not. Uh, they don't necessarily shut it off ever. There's always more news and more bad news to consume because what is sensationalized, what is scary, what is frightening is what part of what's most appealing. And so as a mom, I know I'm kind of looking at this now as a mom of young children, what can I do to help protect my children in terms of how they process news at a time when we walk around with handheld devices. So I'll talk a little bit about that. But where were you when 9-11 happened? I would love to hear from you. Let's see. We have Reno on the, on the phone from northern New Jersey. Welcome to Trending. Where were you when 9-11 occurred? Uh, yes, hi. Um, at 9-11, I was living at the time in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Uh, actually, which is really, if you know the area, it's right across from Manhattan. And uh, a friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine, his name was Scott Vassell. He had been out of work for almost a year. He had two little babies like I did at the time. And he called me on my birthday. It was August 28th to, you know, wish me a happy birthday. And he was all excited because he had just gotten um, a new job after being out of work for so long. And, and he said he was starting in a couple of weeks. I said, that was awesome. Where are you starting? Where are you working? He said, in New York, in Manhattan. Uh, he said, I'm going to be working in the Twin Towers. And I said, when you started, I said, Monday, September 10th. 
and then that was, and then the next day he was gone. Oh, so that's how it, you know, tell oh. the story. <clears throat> wow, and you shared he had a little child at the time as well, along with you. Yeah, he had two little boys. We were you know, mm-hmm. same age as I. We went to school together since first grade. Wow, so you guys had known each other since first grade. And look at this man. It's startling when you think about these stories. You don't hear them, Reno. Here your your friend Scott Vassell had been out of work for a while, had two young children, just got a new job after facing that challenge that some men face of being out of work, especially with young children. And his first day was the day before 9-11, working there in the Twin Towers, your last day talking to him. Wow, how... You know, we don't think often enough about the family. So those children, especially if a young child, how old is your young child child now who was alive right around that time, born around that same time of 9-11? What is 23? 23. So this kid's got to be about the same age now. Yeah. 23, 22, something like that. Yeah. So my, yeah, my daughter just graduated college and his kids must be in the same, generally, you know, sort of um, graduated from college. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I know that everybody was impacted by that uh, terrible tragedy. And the whole town of Fort Lee was in mourning, not just for him, because there's a lot of people from Fort Lee that, because uh, it was just across from, you know, the Hudson River to Manhattan. Uh, so that was uh, something that affected us all. Mm, yeah. Thank you for sharing his story. It's a tribute to the people who died that day in 9-11, to their children, to their spouses. And here's a man who had t- two young boys, prayers for Scott Vassell and his children and his spouse that he left behind 22 years ago, whose kids are, like you said, just about graduating college. Thank you for sharing, Reno. And it's sometimes when we experience events like this, it's like we put a mark on it. It's a historic day, and we leave it being we walk away. And I was even thinking ahead of today, it's 9-11. It's easy to kind of just slide past it and forget about it. But it is a day in American history that will forever have changed us. And Reno would have been a young man with young children then, and as was his friend. It's something to process and ponder as we look at dates to remember to pray still. I hope you will pray still for the lives of those people lost in their families. And here is a family who grew up without a father because of this, without their biological father. Marianne from Modesto, California is on the line. Marianne, where were you when 9-11 happened? Oh, my gosh. Where was I? I was home right here. I'm talking to you from in Modesto, California. And this is what I wanted to um, to let the world hear that we are family. We pray the rosary in the night. And um, for one and a half month, this is one and a half month before 9-11 happened, my son was eight years old. He's now 27. He was eight years old. And when is his turn, his decade, he would be, he would not stop. A month and a half, he keeps praying on his decade. Two words, volcanoes and firemen volcanoes and firemen and he would not switch his intention or his request and a month and a half before it happened and when it happened at 8 45 on 9 11 i woke him up i said he was eight i woke up i said matthew matthew woke up you know those firemen and volcanoes you were praying for wow. something just happened and it looked like volcanoes went up with the ashes and the white stuff and um 350 firemen died including the confessor the confessor i forgot his name but I said, oh, my God, God knows this was going to happen. And he gave you that intention. And we had no mm. clue because it didn't make sense to us. 
Mm-hmm. He keep doing that. He wouldn't switch. So I just want to share that with you. That's incredible. So your son, eight years old, had been praying kind of prophetically for this volcano and fire and firemen, and it occurred. And you saw it when you saw nine eleven. You saw what he had been praying for. How long had he been praying for this intention? A month and a half. He wouldn't wow. stop every night. Why fireman volcano? He just wouldn't stop. And a month and a half after mm-hmm. it happened, I'm like, oh my god, God was speaking to you as a child. Yeah. He's now twenty seven. That's incredible. What an incredible testimony, Marion. It's incredible to see how God allows kind of a glimpse of people's pain to prophetically come into our lives. And sometimes we don't know why we feel a special connection to someone or we're worried about something in particular, but it's always an opportunity to pray. And thank God you and your son were in a prayerful family. You were praying the nightly rosary together. And so you had a channel for that. But what about people who don't have that channel of prayer? And I think that's part of what I want to talk about when we discuss processing events today. How would children process an event such as that? Thank God, you know, I grew up within a faith-filled home and that fear of what if war came to American soil, the fear regarding death, the reality of death that was placed before us when 9-11 occurred, that we had that opportunity to turn to God and intercede for people and that your son so prophetically had been praying for such an event. Little did you know until 9-11, that's what it was. Rudy from Orange County, California, welcome to Trending. Where were you on the day that 9-11 occurred 22 years ago today? Well, as I told your screener, I worked at Disneyland, so I was getting ready. Uh, the first plane crash I heard, then I got in the car, went to the Disneyland, and we used to park off-site. As I'm driving, I'm hearing this second one on the radio. And so when I get there, because we have a shuttle bus that takes us to the actual park, I ran into my friend, Sue, and we're talking about it. And she goes, oh, yeah, I heard. I go, no, there was a second plane. She goes, what? I go, yeah, there was a second plane that hit another tower. She goes, we're under attack. So from the shuttle bus Mm -hmm. to the custodial department, where we actually get our assignments and go from there, everyone was glued in the conference room to the TV. Meanwhile, we did not know if we were going to open up or not, uh, the Disneyland president at that time with Cynthia Harris, they were running meetings. We were just on a holding pattern more than anything else because mm-hmm. since we're an American institution, we did not know if we would be the next target or not. And so that day, they basically said, you know what? We're not opening up today. We don't have any protocols. Go home. We'll call you if we have another shift tomorrow or what's going on. And from that point on, all of our protocols changed. They actually got outside companies to start searching and they brought dogs in for the next day in order to be prepared. Mm. So that whole protocol is then that see something, say something actually started taking effect. So all of our safety protocols have actually changed. And part of it is since the custodial department is everywhere throughout the park, they would also train us with security and to look for unusual situations. Mm. Isn't that interesting how security protocols have changed? You remind me of the change in flight. I I was nine years old when 9-11 happened. I don't remember what it was like to fly without TSA when you could just walk up to the gates. And it it seems like something that occurred during, 
you know, a Hollywood film in the 1950s, not today. I mean, our world changed in terms of how we looked at things to be safe. So you said Disneyland was closed that day. Did they open up in the days after 9-11 or were they still concerned about an attack at that time? Yeah, we were able to open up the next day because they did talk with the FBI departments and uh, Anaheim PD and all that. And they felt that we were pretty much, but they did bring extra Anaheim PD officers out there to be more visual and they brought all the security guards to be out there more visual on it. Mm-hmm. The, uh, no one really pays attention was the, uh, the uh, skyline at night. You never saw any aircraft for that whole week, if we remember. No planes were, they were all grounded. Yeah. If you remember, uh, yeah, you right. might not remember because you were young, yeah. but I remember that for that whole week, there was no planes at all in the mm-hmm. sky. No airplanes traveling. Wow, it's such an interesting perspective. And there you were at Disneyland. Out of curiosity, what part of Disneyland did you work at? Uh, day custodial. Okay, very neat. A sweeper. Custodial. Yes, fantastic. Thank you for sharing your your story of 9-11, where you were at, Rudy. It's neat to see all these different perspectives on how it impacted industry, impacted Disneyland, impact impacted you know everything from just the way we travel to airplanes to security that philosophy of if you see something say something now where were you when 9-11 occurred the numbers 888-914-9149 we'll be right back here on trending i want to talk about how differently we process world events news and catastrophes today whether it's for yourself or for your children i know it can be overwhelming sometimes i just have to turn off the news cycle in order to process and to actually still have a certain level of empathy. Sometimes if we're overloaded on content, we can't feel with other people. We'll be right back here on Trending talking about where you were on 9-11. So, bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We have a new audio series here at Relevant Radio for your family. The Saints, Adventures in Faith and Courage is the first of its kind daily telling of the Saints' stories following these God-changing historic events. The series tells one Saints story each week, and they even come with activities if you have kids that you can work on together. Catch us free new series that launches to today. It will be delivered in your email inbox. Just go and sign up at saintspodcast.com. That's the saintspodcast.com. I'll be here on Trending Today. It's the anniversary of 9-11. And... I want to know where you were at. I was nine years old when 9-11 occurred, and I shared earlier, I was flipping through the channels really early in the morning before school. I was homeschooled, and ironically, I was looking at the time, and I thought, oh, goodness, my poor mom. I think it was 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning here on the West Coast. You have compassion for how early she was up, but we actually saw the second plane crash into the Twin Towers, and... I remember that I processed that day, that news, that event. I immediately said, Mom, something's going on. Because we didn't grow up watching the, the news. And I knew if something was off, you know, reach out, say something to your mom. And I want to talk about this a little later on, about how we process world events, news, and catastrophic events differently today because of handheld devices. Even just the way kids 
do or don't know, hey, contact an adult when something looks wrong or off and process that with an adult, not by yourself. It it actually pulled at my heart to think of the fact that there are startling events occurring in personal lives from bullying to sexual assault to indoctrination school systems to the everyday frightening news that can come up and children are processing these things by themselves with their handheld technological advanced everything from ipad tablet you name it versus 22 years ago for me i saw something was wrong the tv the family tv was in the family living room i was sitting five to ten feet away just like you were supposed to sit far away from the screen and not be close up and i processed that event through the eyes of my mom with my mom kids today don't have that level of guidance from their parents that i had as a child and it is so human-centered, even in terms of our psychological development. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But if you want to share your story of where you were when 9-11 occurred, I'd love to hear from you. We've heard from everyone from a man who's best, one of his best friends, Scott Vassell, died that day. He had a young, two young sons, a new baby. The kid would have just graduated college uh, today after this anniversary of 9-11, 22 years later. And the children of 9-11 are just coming out of college. Those are the years that they are in right now. And I want to talk to Anna Marie in New Mexico. Anna Marie, where were you when 9-11 occurred? Anna Marie on line four. I'm sorry? Oh, go ahead. We didn't hear you before. Where were you when 9-11 occurred? Oh, sorry. I was um, in my second year of teaching. I was 25 years old, and I was teaching first grade for the first time. And when it happened, we didn't know because we didn't have TVs in our room at that time. But our principal started calling us to the office one at a time so we could see what was going on. And we cried with our principal. And But she wanted to prepare us because we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we would have to evacuate, if we had to prepare for our kids. To um, Parents started calling and taking their kids early. So when we went back to the classrooms, we would just kept the classroom. The same, um, we tried to check out the TVs as much as we could so that we were just aware of what was going on. But after that day, from then on, my first graders, my little first graders, these cute little babies, every little picture they would draw had planes in it crashing into their birthday cake, crashing into their Christmas tree, mm, wow. planes with fire at it. And all year long, we had to help them process this. There was not a story that they didn't write about Santa and he couldn't be on a plane because the plane's going to crash. You know, mm -hmm. is Santa going to make it? You know, it was just devastating to these little first graders because they went home and they saw it all over the TV. And it became it, every single mm -hmm. day talk for a year. Wow. Wow, it's interesting. So first graders would be six, seven years old. And it's interesting to see how 9-11 was portrayed through their eyes, that fear of what does this mean? Could a plane hit me at any time? Could it ruin any of the most exciting events? You know, Because to, to a little kid, I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? Christmas is ruined and my birthday's ruined. It's a very childlike mindset. But it's interesting just thinking those kids are 28, 29 years old, not even into their 30s yet. And they had this significant event that occurred when they were in first grade. It's interesting. Anne's 
from Ontario, Canada is with us now. And Anne shared that her pastor said they're at war. Anne, where were you when 9-11 occurred? When 9-11 occurred, I was driving to Mass with some of my, my little kiddos. Um, and uh, when we got into the Mass, I had listened to um, what was happening on the car radio. The priest said, oh, we're at war. And that's how Mass started. But actually, one year later, to the, to the day, September 11th, the next year, I was in labor with my what, like fifth of seven daughters, and um, we were praying a lot that the baby would wait just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, So, because um, we were watching all the sad things on the TVs in the hospital, and um, we, we were doing emergency novenas. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So Allison, Mary, <laughs> Allison was born um, at uh, 12.07 on so September 12th. Oh, September 12th. You're praying she wouldn't be born on 9-11 because a year into that anniversary, and it weighed so heavily on the hearts of the American people. You think about 3,000 people who died uh, during 9-11 and not wanting to have that, that birthday for your daughter. I understand that. I mean, today, I don't think people would bat an eye necessarily thinking of the significance. But then it, it was a day, a very painful history uh, for Americans. And thank you for calling and sharing where you were on 9-11. Stephen in Stockton, California, where were you when 9-11 occurred? I was tra- stationed at Travis Air Force Base in California, uh, Senior Airman for Orcus, 349 Memorial Ferris Squadron. Uh, we did mortuary, and uh, I was um, on base uh, at the dining facility and uh, dressed in my blues because we had a new commander on base, a new general. And uh, as I'm watching CNN, on am because I'm, I'm an information junkie myself, um, I saw the twin t- one of the Twin Towers already on fire, and I'm like, what's, you know, what's this about, you know? And one of the nurse, one of the, the um, another airman was walking by and she said, I think we're under attack. And as soon as she said that, the second airplane smashed right into the building right in front of me on television. And just then every cell phone in the room went off, including mine. So which was pretty spooky. So when everyone's cell phone went off and then of course I picked up and answered, it's, it's uh, you know, my, my, my immediate sergeant. Uh, and he goes, where are you? And I says, I'm in, I'm on, I'm on base, sir. And I'm in my blues. And, and, uh, I says, are you watching the news? I says, of course I'm watching the news, you know? And, uh, he goes, yes, sir. Uh, good. Because you're not going anywhere, Stephen. We're at war. And so mm-hmm. I says, yes, sir. I says, just re- when you're done, report back, you know, report to the office immediately. I said, yes, sir. And then I hung up the phone, and then as soon as I hung up the phone, the very first thought that went through my mind was, I got here just in time. As, wow. as a warrior, as a serviceman, yeah. yeah. Mm. We, do, uh, we do mortuary, so it was like, yeah, it was a, it was a sobering experience. I'm like, ah, you know, so, so mm. at the same time, it's like, uh, you're, you're, I got a little upset. I, was, I, mean, I got a lot upset, actually. I got like, who in the hell? would do that, you know, and, and but, right. you know, you rely on your training, you rely on your training. So, so I, I just mm-hmm. went to the office and a lot of, half of us went on 
we were a reserve status. And then within about well, 30 seconds later, we were on active duty. So half of us wow. went on an airplane bound for Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, where the bodies are processed. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. To see all sides of this and someone for you, you were ready, ready for war. We were being told we were at war at this time. We thought that war was coming to American soil. And apart from the terrorist attacks, praise God that we have not seen hand-in-hand combat or war on American soil, but that that was the fear for a long time to come after that, for years. It led to the re-election of then-President Bush, and as I'm looking at these stories, it's something that we won't forget. It was life-changing. It was formative. Like you said, you know, you had this moment of, okay, you know, I'm ready for service. I'm ready. I'm mad. Who would do this? And wow, this is actually one of those moments where, especially as a serviceman, you're recognizing how serious your commitment and responsibility is, or as a parent, how serious your commitment and responsibility is to children, or as a teacher, teachers have called, sharing how they were helping children in first grade to navigate the difficulty of processing what 9-11 is. We even had a young man call, and we didn't get to take his call, but he said, I wasn't even alive yet. I wasn't even alive. Isn't that incredible? 22 years ago, and we have adults working in the population today who weren't even alive at the time of 9-11. I was only nine years old. And just processing what happened with 9-11, I'm so grateful that we do not have, or at that time, did not have handheld devices the way we do today. And reflecting on what happened the day of 9-11, that I saw something was wrong on the TV, flipping through the channels really early in the morning. I think it was before 6 a.m., my poor mom, and, you know, four kids up really early. And I remember she was in the bathroom. I said, Mom, come here. Something's really wrong. And I was able to process that through the eyes of my mom, with my mom. Yet today, you look at all of the news of the world and it's instant at our fingertips and the catastrophic events the earthquakes the death the shootings we hear about it instantly and what was kind of heartbreaking for me was to think about how inundated children teenagers all of us even as an adult that how it can be too much when we look at the news i can't tell you how many times i've seen over the last decade on social media when a significant event, whether it be a hurricane or an earthquake where many people die, I see people posting on social media over and over again. I don't know what to do. I feel so helpless. And it's been a startling response for me because I see it more and more and I hear it from people. And I think that something's occurred with our handheld advice, constant plug-in mentality that whether it's adults or children, There's a difficult element when it comes to knowing how to process significant events that happen in the world, but also in our personal lives. And in some respects, I think it's leading to our empathy tank kind of being empty. Do you think we need to work on an increase in empathy, perhaps, by shutting off the quantity and frequency in which we consume news? And even just thinking about it as a parent, I look at what's happening with 
the increase in hospitalizations right now for young children. Uh, there's actually ER nurses, ER doctors are calling on help because we have seen a massive increase in an overburdening of the emergency room is because of children facing mental health crises today. They're not coming from medical crises, but parents don't know where to go. And so they're taking their children with severe mental health challenges or behavioral issues to the ER because parents don't know what to do. And I look at how kids are processing bullying, sexual assault, indoctrination, and they're doing it without their parents. And I think that to take my takeaway on this is how can we help in an age where we are walking around constantly with handheld devices, all this news perpetually at our fingertips, all of this is a great tool and an asset, but how do we make sure we maintain a level of empathy and compassion of self-awareness? 9-11 was a life-changing event for those who were alive at that time and who were old enough to remember and process what occurred. I was only nine years old. And yet today when major events occur, I don't know that someone in Southern California would process an event and see the significance of it and even see it in a life-changing respect if an event happened on the other side of the country because of the way we consume news today, the way that we are inundated with catastrophic events. So it's something to think about when it comes to how we process the news and the world around us. Again, that was a time where we stood five to 10 feet away from a television. The TV was in the central part of the house and kids processed and received news, ideally alongside their parents. There was that level of protection, that barrier. So it's, I think, a, a point of thought-provoking parenting for me as I ponder what happened on 9-11 and we were, where we were all at. We'll be right back here on Trending on this anniversary of 9-11. If you or someone you know was a survivor of 9-11 or was lost, such as Scott Vassell, whose friend called in today, pray for them. Pray for Scott. His kids would be in their 20s, one of them just graduating college. Pray for those whose lives were lost or who lost a parent or spouse that day on 9-11. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. launching back into our series on Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. If you don't know what it is, we're in the midst of this multi-month long series explaining what Pope St. John Paul II's was prophetic, it's profound, maybe just something for teenagers. It's not. It's so much more than that. You thought it was just a theology of human sexuality. It's not. It's really at the core of understanding our human anthropology, how we relate to one another, how we relate to God, and how transformative the life of grace is in our lives and what He intended for human beings from the beginning. So we are launching into, I think, about our ninth week of Theology of the Body. And if you've not been with us, I hope you'll go and catch the podcast, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. And there we 
I've been explaining each of these catechetical talks. So Pope St. John Paul II gave 133 catechetical talks over the course of five years. In the middle, there was a pause. Uh, he was actually shot in the middle of that and had to recover and returned to it. And right now we're on talks 34 and 35. And these couple of talks focus on truly the integrity of the commandments, the integrity we have in living them out. We're in the midst of where Pope St. John Paul II turns to Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount, especially Matthew chapter 5 verse 28 in particular, where Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. As whoever looks at a woman with lust, whoever looks at her to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Pope St. John Paul II is talking about that higher calling that Jesus Christ is challenging you and I to. He talks about this in this section, this commandment and ethos. That is that intention and spirit of the commandment. Pope St. John Paul II is pointing to how Jesus is in some respects communicating this as a new ethos of the gospel and that this should appeal to each and every single one of us, as Christ is not just saying, hey, every human being needs to be culpable for how he looks at a woman. And women can look at men with desire inappropriately as well. We could flip this on its back. And we have actually um, uh, really unpacked that side of it quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. But here, what Pope St. John Paul II is saying is Jesus is appealing to the heart, to the interior reality of the human person, and he's addressing integrity, living out the commandments with integrity. Jesus says, do not commit adultery. And he talks at another time about how our, ju our justice, our sense of righteousness should exceed and abound even more than the Pharisees. Those people who say, okay, this is the law and I live by it strictly. It's not just a matter of the law, but it's a matter of honoring what God's intention is and living it out. And I think that when we look at this commandment, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's understanding that to just say, okay, I am not coveting my neighbor's spouse. That's not enough. What Jesus is saying is that honor God, honor yourself, honor your neighbor and honor your neighbor's spouse by not even entertaining thoughts that come into your mind of another individual. Now, prior to Jesus talking about this renewed and clarified understanding of adultery, the interpretation that much of the ancient Israelite world had was looking at this from the perspective of the seventh commandment, that you don't covet your neighbor's spouse. And unfortunately, many of the patriarchs in the Old Testament interpreted this in terms of, well, as long as it's not someone else's spouse, they can be mine. So they practiced polygamy. They had multiple spouses. Yet Jesus has already clarified that from the beginning, the dawn of creation, God intended monogamy. This is seen and explained in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark 10, which was the beginning part of the theology of the body series. We saw how this went wrong when Sarah and Abraham used Hagar so that Sarah could have children. Now, even with Jacob and Rachel, there's this attempt to have children and the use of another woman to do so. It was looked at as this perspective that we are meant to have children. 
But we saw how many things go wrong in those stories of Sarah and Abraham and Jacob and Rachel because of the way they went about trying to have children at all costs. But you look at the stories even of David and Solomon, who in that instance, Pope St. John Paul II is indicating that undoubtedly we see their extramarital relationships, even if they were multiple wives, that they were out of concupiscence. They weren't even with that good intention desire to try and have children. And just because it's a good intention desire doesn't mean it's okay. What Pope St. John Paul II is pointing at here is that this commandment of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 during the Sermon on the Mount, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart, that here Jesus is talking about that new ethos. He's saying, go deeper. Pope St. John Paul II is known for that line that I love where he's commenting or taking up that charge of Jesus to go out into the deep. Just as Jesus tells Peter and Andrew and James and John who are in the boat fishing when they haven't caught anything to go out, try again. And they catch this abundance of fish after having fished all night long. Even, and we see this before the death and resurrection of Christ, but in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as well. As they're processing the death of Christ, they've just heard that he's resurrected. Mary Magdalene has come to them. There they are in the Sea of Galilee fishing. And Jesus tells them, put down your nets again for a catch. And so Pope St. John Paul II has picked up those words during his papacy of going out into the deep. And I love to think of Pope St. John Paul II's perspective when he's talking about theology of the body, because he's challenging us to think deeper, just as Jesus is saying, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's this idea of not having a narrow scope when there is a law, a principle of ethics and morality in front of us. Don't just follow it to the letter of the law and see, okay, check mark, did I do that right? No, Pope St. John Paul II in Theology of the Body Talk 35, he says, The discernment of good and evil inscribed in human conscience can turn out to be deeper and more correct than the content of a legal norm. So what Pope St. John Paul II is saying is when we're discerning good and evil, that it's on our hearts, it's structured within our consciences, and that that can be even more correct than the content which we come to know through a legalistic law. Now, we have laws in our secular society that say terrible things are okay, such as no-fault divorce, contraception, and abortion. But even at that time, the time of Christ, there were religious perspectives made on the law of God that weren't the law of God, but religious leaders instituted saying that th certain things were okay, such as polygamy, such as divorcing your spouse. But here's what's interesting, is that if we look at the definition of what sin is, Sin is to miss the mark. And in our fallen human nature, we love to try and skirt our way around the letter of the law. Well, am I, can I interpret it in this way? Am I meeting that need? A am I actually following this? Pope St. John Paul II is challenging us to understand that Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, is calling us to so much more than our narrow perspective He's calling us to interior integrity, not just the actions which other people see. He says, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And this does not just apply to men. 
This applies to women as well, but look at this from the eyes of Pope St. John Paul II. Something I love about him is that he believed we could be saints here and now. Jesus Christ said the kingdom of God is now, it's at hand. And he told us that he's preparing the way. John the Baptist prepared the way of the gospel, calling us to repentance. And with that comes conformity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Tuesday, I'll talk about a new song released by singer Doja Cat. The song is literally titled Demons. And what's interesting, not interesting, but interesting about this is the reaction people are having how the music video and the song has gone too far. That whether you have faith or you don't, people are frightened. And they're saying they actually want to have faith when they encounter this song. We'll talk about this Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.